Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I do feel his presence here tonight. You know, sometimes when I say that, I, I feel a little flash of conviction because you don't have to just be in church to feel the presence of the Lord. You can feel the presence of the Lord everywhere you go. But there is something about when God's people get together. There's something about when we lift our voices together and we combine our faith and we combine our worship and we combine our encouragement. It's just something about it. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, there will he be in the midst of them. We know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But God manifests himself when his people come together in his name. How many are glad that you can feel the manifested presence of God tonight? I feel the brush of angels' wings. I feel the heavenly touch tonight. Amen. It's like spiritual manna from heaven. And I thank God for it. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 21. As you're turning there, um, I don't want to eulogize and I don't want to uh, take up too much time. But as you're praying for my grandmother, Janine Smith, uh, you can know that she is one of the finest, uh, godliest women that you would ever meet in your life. And so we are comforted, no matter what happens, that uh, she is ready to meet the Lord. And... Uh, my grandfather went ahead years ago, and I think if she could tell you what she'd like to do, she'd like to go meet Jesus and see Grandpa. But we're going to miss her with all of our hearts. But we don't grieve like the world grieves, amen? But we do grieve nonetheless in our own way. And so lift her up, lift my mother up in prayer, if you would. I want to talk to you tonight about the four steps to sin, the four steps to sin. You could break it down different ways, and uh, we might could say the, the four progressions of sin or uh, the progress of sin, how, how sin goes from being a spark to a fire, we might could say, uh, how uh, sin goes from being an idea to something that has been acted upon. And we're going to look at it from one verse of Scripture, Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 21. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. Now, to give you some context here before I let you be seated, this is the story of Achan and the walls of Jericho had just fallen. The people of God had taken the city. They'd shouted with a voice of triumph. But God had commanded the people through Joshua before the walls ever fell. He said that all the spoils of Jericho belonged to the house of God. All the gold, all the silver, all the valuables, it belongs to the treasury of the Lord. That was God's command. And 
Aiken is most known for being the man that in the aftermath of the Battle of Jericho, he, he hid spoils from Jericho underneath his tent. He took things and, and he could not resist it. And because of that, God's people went into a battle against Ai and they were destroyed. Many people died. Joshua sought the Lord and the Lord told Joshua there is sin in the camp. The reason you lost what should have been an easy victory is because there was sin in the camp. If you find yourself losing victories that you should have easily, easily obtained in the spirit, you might should do a sin check. And so Joshua called all the tribes together and they discovered that it was Achan. And now in this verse, Achan is describing the progress of his sin or the steps that led him to the sin. And here's what he said. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. The four steps to sin contained in this one verse. Pastor went through about uh, 27 books of the Bible last Wednesday. I'm going to look at one scripture. And so this is going to be like kindergarten compared to that. And I won't be long, but I do think the Lord wants to help us. All of us can learn from how to guard ourselves from the dangers of the progress of sin. Can we put our Bibles down, lift up our hands, and let's ask the Lord to guard our hearts, shall we? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. None of us in this room are incapable of falling into the wiles of sin. None of us are any better than Achan, God. We are all capable of being drawn and enticed by things that should not draw us and should not entice us, Lord. In fact, everyone in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God at some point or another. And I pray that you would keep us in your perfect will. Help us to be obedient to your commands by guarding ourselves. I give you praise. I give you glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now look at your neighbor and tell them this. He's preaching about sin, but you can still smile. Amen. All right. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The four steps to sin. Uh, I think... You know, a lot of people have broken sin down a lot of different ways. I've gone many times through uh, how Eve was tempted in the garden. And uh, the I've sometimes called it the template of temptation, uh, how all of that progressed in Eve's life. But really, I, I've never noticed a more succinct description of how sin grips us and moves us from a place of just thinking about it to actually becoming so immersed in sin that it does great damage to people that we love. In Achan's situation, sin destroyed his family. It destroyed his wife. It destroyed his children. It destroyed his fellow Israelites, soldiers, brothers. 
It, it brought destruction. It brought shame. And that is what sin does, by the way. Uh, sin brings destruction. Sin brings shame. Sin brings pain. That's not how sin is advertised. Uh, sin is always advertised as fun, isn't it? You ever see a beer commercial? Beer commercials are always advertised as fun. It's just something enjoyable. But sin, uh, even though it is pleasurable for a season, sin produces death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the, the price that is paid, you earn something when you sin. You are actually working towards something and you earn destruction. You earn death into your life. It's, it's often said, in fact, I've been seeing it quoted quite a bit lately, that if, if you receive the wages of sin immediately, sin would not be enticing. Sin is only capable of being enticing because many times the consequences of sin are delayed. Uh, we don't immediately see it, but if you wait long enough, the consequences of sin will strike into your life. And for Achan, it was fairly quick. This was a fast-moving consequence that came into his life. And when he is confessing his sin publicly before the people, and by the way, let me just pause and tell you that what is done in the dark will be seen in the light. What is done in the dark will be manifested in the light. God has a way of bringing things to the surface that we have pushed down beneath our tent. Things that we have hidden, things that we've buried deep, things that we thought are, are so far down beneath the system, so far down beneath what the eye can see. We think it's safely tucked away. And God has a way of bringing those things to the surface when we least expect it to be brought into the light. That's how God operates because nothing goes beyond the vision of God. How many know that God sees everything? God knows everything. You might can hide it from your pastor. You might can hide it from your spouse. You might can hide it from your children. But you cannot hide anything from God. God sees it all. He knows it all. He hears it all. And God is never taken off card. God is never distracted. He sees it. And so it comes to the light and the consequences are there. And it's, a, it's an emotional time. And, and Achan gives us a window into human nature. He gives us a window into how we operate at times. I think everyone in this room, myself included, could probably testify. Uh, really, it would be more like a, a sad testimony, but we could, we could go through all of the things that Achan went through and say that we have gone through all four of these steps at some point in our lives. Maybe the consequences weren't as serious but we have gone through this progression in our lives. And thankfully, though, we are living under a new covenant. So thank God for the blood of Jesus. I'm so glad that, that I can call on the name that is above every name and that I can, I can reach out to him and he will reach down in mercy and grace and forgiveness. I just want to say that to you tonight. We're talking about sin, but I want to remind you that you can be forgiven in the name of Jesus. All you have to do today is repent of your sin. All you have to do today is get down on your knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, here's the, here's the, the catch, though. Uh, and I know it seems a little 
uh, a, a little uh, juvenile to say it this way, but uh, you really do have to be sorry, by the way. <laughs> have you ever, you know, uh, I hate to use my kids as an illustration when I'm talking about sin, but, uh, you know, when my kids uh, fight, I don't mean punch fight, but you know what I mean, argue and that kind of thing. Um, I'll have these moments where I'll say to them, you need to go tell your sister that you're sorry. And they'll say, well, I don't want to. And I'll say, well, if, if you don't apologize, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so they'll walk over. I'm sorry. You know, that's how some people do with God. You don't stomp like a child, maybe, but, you know, sometimes people get caught and they don't want to get in trouble. And so they do this kind of like, well, God, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I sure don't want to go to hell. That's for sure. So. <laughs> you do know God knows the difference, right? God knows the difference between a sincere apology and an insincere apology. Just like a parent can tell when a child is insincere in their sorrow. God can tell. You know, one of the ways God can tell uh, if you turn around and do the same thing all over again, you weren't sorry. If you go right back to the same old pit that you asked God to bring you out of, you weren't sorry because you went back. God brought you out and you said, I want to be back there. If the prodigal son had run back to the father's house and and they had the party. And then he said, you know what? Uh, I think I want my inheritance again. It was pretty good back in the pig pen. That would be evidence that he was not sorry for what he had done in the first place. And so we, we have to be sorry. But if we are truly sorry, if we will confess our sins with sorrow, with godly sorrow, God it will forgive us. How many can testify that God forgave you of a multitude of sins? Now, I mean that. I want to say that again. God forgave some of you of a multitude of sins. He forgave you of a whole lot of stuff. Aren't you glad that, you know, we don't have to, we're not Catholic and you don't have to write down all five million things that you did wrong and tell somebody about it. You can just come to God and say, Lord, my life is messed up. I've done it. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And God will do it in an instant. But it takes sincerity. So let me take you to the first step, the first progression of sin in the next slide. The very first one, Achan said what? Is that big enough for you? I saw. Can we all say it together? I, can you saw? See, I did it real big there because uh, I know we've been having trouble seeing it. I saw, I saw. You know, I've said many, many times from behind this pulpit, and I was really praying about it this week, and uh, I was rethinking it just a little bit. I've said over and over again that all sin begins in the mind. Have you ever heard me say that before? All sin begins in the mind. And what I mean by that is uh, very rarely does someone just, uh, without thinking, they just sin. Now, you might say, well, someone lost their temper. They didn't think about it. They just lost it. But that begins somewhere in the mind, a state of mind that leads you to a, a propensity to lose your temper or or a, a leaning towards anger, whatever it is, something that's inside of you. When someone loses their temper, that is a buildup of things that should not have been there. 
It's not just something that happens, even though we use that as an excuse, don't we? I couldn't help myself. I, it just happened, you know. I don't know how my fist got over there. I've heard people say that. I don't even know how I got over there. Well, you know, something built up inside of you, and that began in your mind. But when I was, when I was studying uh, Joshua here and, and the story of Achan, the very first thing that he said, I saw, I saw a goodly Babylonish garment. I saw the silver. I saw the shekels. I saw all of this. And it, it began to dawn on me that before it ever gets to your mind, it has to go through your eyes. Everybody okay? I know this is simple, but I'm going to help somebody because here, here's where we get messed up. We think that we can. Here's what modern Christianity says. I can watch anything I want. I can read anything I want. I can look at anything I want. And it doesn't affect me. Your eyes are the window to your mind and to your soul, what you fill your eyes with. That's why the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, we've used that for years in Pentecost to, to preach against wicked entertainment, television, movies, things that are filled with uh, vulgarity and immorality and promiscuity and violence and, and horror. We've preached against that for years, haven't we, Pastor? And, and that's absolutely true. I've had people tell me, uh, well, that scripture, you're taking it out of context when you preach that way because he was uh, speaking specifically about idols. I will set no idol. Uh, I've heard one guy say, you could translate that, I will set no idol before mine eyes. And uh, whether or not that's true, I just like to pause and say that many, many people turn entertainment into idolatry. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think these stars make billions of dollars? Because people turn them into idols. People turn shows into idols. Turn. We even have had shows in the past called, what, American Idol. Why? Because we understand instinctively that uh, when we call someone a star, that's really just a euphemism for an idol. People turn individuals that they have never met into an idol, and, and they turn certain things that uh, move them emotionally. It becomes idolatrous to them. Brother Ryan, are you saying that all entertainment is evil and you could never watch anything? Absolutely not. But I am telling you, if you are setting wicked things before your eyes, then you are opening up your heart and your mind and the end of your story will be just like Achan. I saw. Well, how did this happen? How, 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 why is your family falling apart? Why is all of this happening? Because I saw. But I didn't think it would affect me. I thought I could just watch that trash. I thought I could just be around that. I thought I could just go there and be around those kinds of things. And, and, and I wouldn't partake of it. I'd just watch it. That's, that's what happened to David. David, a good man. He's just uh, out there, you know, out on the rooftop. And he looks over and what happened? He saw Bathsheba. It began with something that he saw. And over and over again, I can tell you, this is especially true with men. It's true of women, too. The, the kids are out, so I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, the, the new uh, idea in culture is that pornography is no big deal. Did you know that? That's what people will tell you. Pornography is no big deal. Nobody gets hurt. That's absolutely untrue because the people who are making pornography get hurt. Okay? So, number one, that's a false premise. But number two... 
Number two, it affects the people who are viewing it. It affects them. And one of the studies that I read recently is that pornography is, is like a gateway drug. In other words, people say it'll just begin not actually doing anything, but if you view it long enough, before long, it sparks a fantasy life inside of you that will take you to places in real life that you never thought you'd go. In other words, it starts pushing you. And how did it start? I saw. It begins with vision. Just like it did with Achan. I was looking at things I shouldn't have been looking at. Even with Eve, going back to the very first sin, the very first rebellion. What happened when she's in the garden? What did, what did the serpent do? He said, look at that fruit. Ah, it looks good, doesn't it? She saw it. And all of a sudden, when she started looking at what was forbidden, she realized... That looks good. Why would God tell me I can't have that? That looks and that's, by the way, how Satan always operates. He'll 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 get you to look at it and then he'll say something clever like this. Why wouldn't God want you to be happy? You ever hear you ever hear a sinner justify their lifestyle that way? I hear it all the time. Why wouldn't God want me to be happy? That fruit looks good. That looks enjoyable. God made that fruit. God, how many have heard this? I was just born this way. Mm. If God hadn't wanted me to do that, why wouldn't God have, have done it this way? Why did God make it that way? And, and here, here's how I'll answer you. God wants you to be happy, but his ways are not your ways. He knows that the end thereof is death. And so God will guard you from things that you don't even understand how it will destroy your life. If God says don't look at it, don't look at it. If God says don't touch it, don't touch it. Get it out of your eyes. Get it out of your life. Don't look at it. Say, I'm not looking at that stuff. I'm not going there if I have to see that kind of thing. I'm guarding my eyes because I don't want the end of my story to begin with something that I saw that I should not have been seeing. Something that I, I let myself that I let myself gaze at. You know, really what happened to Achan is, if you want to dig into the story, I'm sure that just about every soldier that stormed into the city of Jericho, when those walls came down, those Israelite soldiers, they swarmed into the city and they began to take it over. Probably almost every soldier saw silver. Goodly Babylonish garments. They saw a whole lot of things that could have been tempting to them. And that's true for everyone in this room. We were in this world. Amen. But we're not of this world. When you're just walking through life, you're going to see some things that it's not good for you to see. You can't help that. But here's the difference between an Aiken and everybody else. Aiken did not avert his gaze. Some of you men need to say Amen. Achan did not avert his gaze. Instead of seeing it and saying, oh, that's tempting, but God said no. He saw it, and he kept seeing it. And that's the difference between an Achan and everybody else. You can see it, 
But then you've got to say, okay, God said not to do it, so I'm getting out of here. Any, anybody want to be like Joseph? Sometimes you just got to say, I, if I got to run out of this room, I'm going to run out of this room. That'd be a good place to say amen. Sometimes you just got to get up and run. That's the right thing to do. All right, I'll take you to number two. I'm going to hurry. Number two of the four steps to sin. Achan said, I, I saw these things, and uh, I was looking at it, and then I coveted. Everyone said coveted. Anybody remember the Ten Commandments? There's one, if I, if I think really hard, there's one that says, thou shalt not covet. Anybody use the word covet anymore? All right, Brother Jacques does. Praise God. But Brother Jacques's in college, so he's, you know, he's studying all these big words. Covet. Uh, I do because I'm a preacher, but... Uh, I, I don't hear many people saying the word covet. I was looking it up, and, and there's a lot of ways that, that you could maybe break it down, and pastor could correct me, but when I was looking the definition of covet, one of the things that, that came up was to, to strongly desire. Here's, a, here's another one, to, to long for it, to... It one, it far down, literally said to fantasize about it. In other words, you saw it, you gazed on it. Now it's gone from your eyes and it's gone into your mind. And now you can't get your mind off it. And all you can do is think about, I really want that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I really, really want that. And so... Uh, in the Ten Commandments, you know, we have all kinds of things. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet, you know, their oxen. There's all these things. It breaks down a list. That's not intended to be, <laughs> you know, the, the final list. That's just intended to give you kind of an idea of, of things that you shouldn't covet that were common things for people to covet. But anything that you should not have, anything that is sin or anything that's not yours, that you're longing for, and yet it's not yours to long for. That, that you're wishing you could have, and yet God said you're not to ever have that. If you're longing for that, if you're coveting for that, that means it's been in your eyes, and now it's moved into your mind. And that's why when we get to the New Testament, we have Paul saying things like, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does he say? I understand the battle now has moved from the eyes to the mind. And you better get control of your mind. Because if you are longing for things that you should not be longing for, it won't be long. And then you'll be doing it. If you're longing for things that you shouldn't be longing for, it won't be long. And you'll be trying to take it under the cover of darkness. If you're really fantasizing about something you shouldn't be fantasizing about, it won't be long and you'll be burying it underneath your tent in the middle of the night, hoping that nobody's looking. Boy, I hope pastor's not here right now. Be out there with the shovel. Amen. You know, there's a lot of Christians out there with shovels. Digging holes, putting things down in it. Got really quiet. You know why? Because I feel like we're pushing up against a few things tonight. I think that if we examined our hearts, there'd be a lot of people, even in a crowd this size, that could say, 
Maybe it's just one thing, but there is something buried underneath my tent that shouldn't be there. Something I wanted that I shouldn't have taken. Something that I, that I allowed myself to bring into my life that I shouldn't have brought into my life. And that's exactly what happened to Achan. I brought it in. What could it hurt? What could it hurt? This, this would better my family. You know, I can think of all of the rationalization that Achan might have gone through. Anybody ever rationalized sin? I have. There have been many times I've thought, you know, uh, and I'm going to be really transparent with you here. Is this okay? You can throw me out or fire me later. But there have been times when I thought, you know what? If I lied right now, everybody would be better off. Anybody ever felt that way before? If I lied right now, ever, see, some of y'all are so holy, you can't even nod your head. You're just going to try to make me feel like a vile sinner when I say that. That's all right. You can leave me up here. I know better. Yeah, there's been times after, now I didn't do it, but there have been times when I thought, you know, if I just told a little white lie right now, they wouldn't be hurt, I wouldn't be hurt, and that person over there wouldn't be hurt, and uh, we could avoid a whole lot of things. That's called self-justification. That's called uh, rationalization. We're trying to find a way to say, well, maybe, maybe I could improve on what God said is right and wrong. Anybody ever tried to improve on God before? I've tried. I'm going to tell you, it always ends in disaster. Whenever you try to improve on God's plan, it always, always ends badly. And, and so self, I can imagine things going through Aiken's mind. You know, I understand that we need this for the treasury of God. But you know what? My children, my children need to go to college. That, that's how we do, isn't it? You know, my my. We barely made it last year. We just barely survived last year, and my children deserve better. You know, it, it isn't always because somebody wants a Lamborghini. Sometimes people have, you know, noble goals. Sometimes people do something wrong, and, and yet they have somewhere inside of that, there's a, 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 a desire to do something good. And yet, in the end, it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. If you disobey God, you're disobeying God. We can all find a reason. There's always an excuse. There's always something we could say that, man, maybe it'd be better if I did it this way. But I'm going to tell you what we need to do. We need to always choose God's way. Always choose God's way. Even when we don't understand. Even if it hurts us a little bit to choose God's way. Even when it hurts us a little bit. And by the way, you don't always know what God will do. I'm going to share this story again. I've shared it before, and some of you probably be... Um, be annoyed to hear it again, but I do know there's people here tonight who never heard it. Many years ago, many, many moons ago, uh, when I was just a young lad, I worked at uh, the Indianapolis airport, and um, I had moved up in management. It was moving up, but uh, I was still poor. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And uh, struggling Bible college student and uh, definitely needed all the money I could get. Um, and uh, back in those days, I... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd go out and preach with the ministerial association. We'd go preach at churches, and, and I'd pay them to preach. <laughs> I, you know, I'd just be like, I'll give you $100. If I can just come preach, I'll give you $100, you know, kind of a thing. Not really, but, you know, you, you were just, I was just a poor, young Bible college student. And uh, uh, I was working at the airport, and my, my big boss, my general manager, very, very high up in this multi-billion dollar company, called HMS Host, uh, used to be Host Marriott Services and all that, huge industry all over the world, a worldwide company. 
And uh, the Lord had given me favor with this, with this uh, manager. And uh, she was helping me to where I could keep my job and yet still go to college and work strange hours. And, and uh, she, she had a, uh, a bag at the end of the day, part of our job. A big part of my job was literally to go from Starbucks to Starbucks. Hallelujah. <laughs> and with a big suitcase, trying to look like a traveler, and literally just get huge bags of money uh, that they had accumulated through the day. Sometimes there'd be $30,000 in a bag, and sometimes I'd get 10 or 15 or 20 bags like that. And so I just suffice it to say, for a young Bible college student paying other people to preach... That seemed like $8 million. If I had, had $80,000 in a bag, that might as well have been a million dollars to me. And, uh, and so Angela had, uh, had her bag, and she had about $80,000, maybe $100,000 in that bag. And she'd been walking all over the airport with it. And uh, she got caught up, called away into a meeting, and uh, went down to the meeting. And she left the bag, I'll never forget this, inside the California Pizza Kitchen, <laughs> which was one of our stores. And, uh, and it was getting close to closing time, and one of my jobs was to go in there and make sure everyone was doing what they are supposed to do and lock the doors. And uh, the way it, the system worked, if you were a manager and you had a bag full of money, you signed for that bag. And so that was your responsibility until someone else signed for it. And if it was lost in any period of time while you had signed for it, it was considered your responsibility. Automatic termination for that kind of money. Maybe even prosecution if the company decided to. So I came in about 9 o'clock at night. She had gone home hours ago, maybe six hours ago. I walk in to the back of this empty kitchen, and there is $80,000 in a bag with her name on it. Now here is the thing. I could have walked away with that money. No one would have ever known that I did it. No one would have ever known. She would have lost her job. And I could have just walked away scot-free. Now, I wish that I could tell you that for a split second, it didn't cross my mind to just take a measly $1,000. But it did. It crossed my mind. I immediately pushed it out and said, no in Jesus' name. So I'm not as wicked as some of you are thinking I am right now. But, um, and so I did the right thing. I'm probably, just to be honest with you, and I'm not tooting my horn, but uh, I was probably the only person working for that company that particular night who would not have taken that money home. I worked with all those people. I knew how they were. Everyone else that I worked with would have taken that money home. But instead, and I also could have got her in a lot of trouble. I could have called her boss and told him what happened. But instead, I just took it back, signed her name for it, called her and let her know what happened, saved her job, might have saved her prosecution. You know, when you think about all of that, in your carnal mind, you could think, you know what, I missed out. Some people really would think this way. I missed out on an opportunity. But do you know what God did through that? Because of that one act of honesty... God opened up door after door after door after door because of her with that company. God gave me favor, raise after raise after raise after raise after raise to where I was able to get through Bible college and not be broke the next three years 
because I did the right thing, even when it felt uncomfortable to do the right thing. Listen, it's always right to do the right thing, even if you could get away with doing the wrong thing and nobody know about it. Because why? Because God always knows. God always knows. Be careful what you long for. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Isn't that what David said? And what? And renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes you have to say, Lord, recalibrate what I desire. Recalibrate what it is that I'm longing for. And so I'm going to guard my eyes and I'm going to guard my affections. Set your affections on what? Things above. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Be careful what it is that you're valuing. Uh, I got to move, but let me just say this as I'm closing on this point. Did you know that things are only valuable based on the value that we assign to them? Brother Nathan talked about this the other night, and he was talking about handmade things. Do anybody hear for that when he talked about um, uh, how we our identity and there are things that are, are valuable that people hand make and, and how ugly they can be and sometimes they're going for like $200,000. Things are only valuable if we assign value to them. Uh, a Mercedes is only valuable because people view them as valuable, right? A baseball card, for example, is only valuable, a rare baseball card, if somebody wants that baseball card and is willing to pay the money for it. That's why there can be a baseball card that's worth one penny and then a baseball card that's worth $1 million. It's all based on the value that people assign to it. And it's the same way with the things of God. You know, if you value preaching, then you'll, you'll, you'll place a value on it. If you value worship, you'll place a value on it. Why do you think people will pay one price for one stake and another price for another stake? Because they value that thing. You, when it comes to spiritual things, you determine what is valuable and, not, and what's not valuable in your life. That's why we need to make sure that our affections are set on heavenly things. We're not setting our affections on earthly things. Okay, moving, moving to the next one. Uh, number three, he said, I saw, I coveted, and then now we have moved from the introductory stage. Now he's moved into the action stage. Now he's acting on what he saw and thought about. Now he took it. Now he took it. If you look at it long enough, if you think about it long enough, you're going to touch it. At some point, you're going to grab it. At some point, you're going to take it. And so he did. He reached down. I don't know how long it took him. He reached down. He got it. He had to hide it. Somehow, he had to get it. That's a whole lot of stuff. Somehow, he had to get that back to his tent without anybody noticing what he did. He had to. That means there was a whole lot of secrecy going on. When you start sinning, you're going to have to start doing things secretly. If you're finding yourself doing things that you wouldn't want other people to see and you wouldn't want God to see, you know that you are in the danger zone. If your text messages are things that you would not want other people to see. Hmm. Well, it got real, real, real quiet. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're. If your social media interaction and messenger are things that you would not want other people to see, you have a problem. If, there are, if you have things in your life that would make you extremely uncomfortable for it to be made public, you have an issue. 
got something hidden, something underneath the tent there. And I'm feeling a little bit of something here. We might need to pray in just a second here. And so he, he took it and he had, to, he, had to start, he had to start moving things around. He had to start adjusting his life. He, he had to start uh, keeping it from even his own family perhaps. He had to keep that pushed down. And then it took him to the fourth progression. He had to move from taking. And now he says, and finally, I hid it. I hid it. Now he's moved into the realm of being what I call a secret sinner. You know, the world doesn't have to hide anything because they don't think it's wrong. When you know that something is wrong, it forces you to take it into hiding. And that's when you know that you are not submitted to the will of God because your conscience is telling you, I've got to hide this. If I don't hide this, someone will know. But you're not thinking clearly because God already knows. And so you might as well dig it up now before you have to get called out and say, Lord, I'm giving this back. I messed it up, God. I'm sorry. That's really what repentance is. You know it. You're just going back and you're digging it up in front of God. And you're saying, Lord, you already knew about it, but I'm taking it out of that hole. I'm putting it on the altar right now, God. And I'm giving it to you. Take it. Take it. I'm laying my burdens down. I'm laying it all down. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I'm giving it back to you. I'm giving it back to you, God, because everything belongs to you in the first place. Stand with me. I'm closing. I told you I wouldn't be long. I took him to a place of hiding. You know, that brings me back to Genesis again. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned and, and then they, uh, they lost their innocence? And they realized they were naked. And the Bible says that they covered themselves with fig leaves. It was inadequate. That's the first time that modesty begins to take an issue in the Bible. And God says, you know what? You did not cover yourself adequately. Now that sin is in the world, you need to be covered. You need to be covered adequately because now your minds have been distorted by sin. There, there used to not be any such thing as lust, but now lust is in the world. So now you need to clothe yourself modestly. And so God clothed them modestly himself. Isn't that powerful? God literally, sometimes people say, well, that church is a little too strict. Listen, God was strict. He came down and he said, listen, I'm going to take some animal skins and y'all aren't covered right. I'm going to cover you up myself. That's a, these fig leaves, that's got to go. You need to get some, you need to cover yourself. Hey, Amen. That's good preaching, Brother Ryan. So God covered them, but... But when, they, when God started calling their name in the cool of the evening, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid. They hid from the voice of God. And God said, why are you hiding? And that's what God says to us many times. You know, uh, we come to church and we're not, we're not responding. And God says, why? Why? You know why? Because we know that there are things in our lives that should not be there. Now, I know it's Wednesday night and I know no one's going to come and, and wail at the altar, but I do want us to lift up our hands and search our hearts and say, God, search me, Lord. Lord, I'm opening up every area, every hidden area of my life. This would be a good place to just cry out to Jesus for just a few moments. Lord, every secret place, every hidden place, God. Lord, I'm holding nothing back from you tonight, Lord. Examine me. 
Lord, go deep into my mind. Go deep into my soul. Go deep into my spirit, I pray, oh God. Lord, we surrender it to you, God. We want to be right, Lord. We want to be right. We want things to be made whole before it's too late, God. In the name of Jesus. 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 Jesus.